Hello everybody and welcome to the Billy Moore podcast and today's special guest is Sam Gillingham. Sam, thanks for coming along and what an interesting story you've got. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. And thank you very much for giving me um, yeah, this opportunity to be able to speak about, I suppose, the journey and the situation that I've found myself in over the past sort of 30 odd years. It's been a long time, hasn't it? It's like, it has. You know, if, you haven't, um, if you don't know Sam's story, Sam is, has got... There's a story on Netflix called The Investigator. The Brit- a British crime story, The Investigator. It was series one. Yeah, yeah a British... Four-part documentary. Yeah, and it was all based on, on the story of your father, what went on with your mum. Yep. Uh, how you saw it through your eyes. Yeah. It was quite, a, to be honest, I watched it and thought, wow, it's powerful. This. It really is, you know, the, um, the shit that was going on. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I think... Um... I've only just about managed to be able to keep up because certainly when we when I when this started back in well for eight and a half years I didn't even know that there was anything that was wrong. Um, so my mother she went missing in 1985, as you know, um, but it wasn't until my father faked his death in 1993 that then um, we then were then trying to find my mother. Obviously at the time we didn't know that it was an insurance fraud that my father had carried out. But certainly from 1993 to date, um, I've still, I'm still looking for my mother. She still is missing. And that's the search that still goes on for you, for yeah. some kind of peace of mind at, at the least, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think um, because of setting out at the beginning, the beginning was obviously not thinking that, as I said, that there was anything wrong with my mother being missing. I thought that for the circumstances that were happening at the time when she did disappear, that it was... I can understand why she did go because it wasn't that long after when she went that I also left the family home as well. Yeah. And basically we all, the three of us, my father, my mother and I fractured into three pieces until unexpectedly all of a sudden your world gets turned upside down and what you, everything that you thought actually now isn't true. Mm. You know, there's, there's an element of my life obviously that is true and there's a lots of things that we did that did exist but I didn't quite realise just how much that there was like a a, a, a subline almost mm-hmm. um, to my parents' dynamics and and what happened to my mother. Yeah, because you were you were just a young schoolgirl, weren't you at the time? And yeah, yeah, yeah. From what I recall, there was a note left on the kitchen table, yeah, saying I've had enough, I'm leaving, yeah, and a ring placed on top of it, yeah. And to you, that was like you noticed that your mum had had enough like a long time before and you just thought or assumed that that was the case yeah um absolutely i mean things were intensely um uh, very very stressful we had my my parents myself and also my father's girlfriend living all in the same house and it wasn't a secret to any of the parties that the relationship was ongoing between my father and patricia and my relationship with my mother wasn't very good either. I was very much more a, a daddy's girl than what I was, um, a, you know, a, a close relationship with my mother. So to come home one day, I was 16, and then to come home and then find that note, to me, that made that made perfect sense that she would decide that 
that intensity of the breakdown of her her marriage to my father and also the facts that we were arguing as well mm. that she would leave and she was a very capable lady she was earning very very good money um my parents were electronic engineers in the aircraft industry and so you know she was a lady who was earning big bucks back in 1985 you know i'm talking three four hundred pounds a week and i know that even now in 2022 three four hundred quid a week would not be something that you would sniff at as as mm. far as basic income to come in let alone then it's a good little wage isn't it it's like what 22 grand a year or something. yeah seriously i mean my you know my father at the time he was he had a contract in italy at the time and i think that he was on something like um 22 25 pounds an hour you know so 1985 big money so i didn't think that she I, d I didn't think at that time that there was anything untoward with regards to my mother actually going. And as I said, within two months, my father asked me also to leave the house. And I'd pretty much had enough myself already then. I'd told my father that I didn't love him anymore. Mm. I was kind of like, I wasn't really quite accepting the fact that from Patricia being sort of a, a, a an included part of, of the family unit, as it were, but now she was almost now with the replacement for my mother and regardless if i didn't get on with my mother you're not going to be a replacement for her and i didn't feel too comfortable about the fact that now she was now jointly in control with my father um when that hadn't been the case we had been a very insular family my father and my mother and i and with all the traveling that we did and so to have somebody else who had invaded um uh, I, I wasn't happy with. Yeah, so tell us the story about how it all began when, and what's gone on since, because, you know, you've had, from what I recall, and I spoke to you, Sean, and I don't mean to be rude, I like you, Sean, but I don't think I'll be putting this on before yours because it goes in chronological order in age, which is only fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. his story comes after yourself, yeah, um, yeah. and I hope he understands that. I'm sure he will, Neil. Um, <laughs> however... You know, he, he's, be, he's had his demons, he's been through his struggles, you know, and obviously that's because of the trauma, the trauma that he's have, he's have had to deal with. Yeah, you know. and trauma that you can't, you can't, um, you can't control no. because obviously, um, I don't think, unless somebody has actually experienced um, somebody going missing, especially when I'm um, obviously... I hadn't, I hadn't had that much to do with my father in that eight and a half years, because after I left home, um, I literally was on my own. Um, I, um, I was homeless, um, so I left from a very nice house to now being underneath Bournemouth Pier. And um, in a very quick period of time, I found myself in Holloway Prison. Um, I was in prison within a year, so I was now 17. And I was still very much on my own. And um, and then um, leaving prison when I was now 18 stroke 19 and then trying now to sort of do the right thing, but maybe still, it's very, very difficult, isn't it, for anybody when you've got no support network around you. You know what's right and what's wrong, but sometimes there'll be circumstances that maybe take you yeah. in down a road that you wouldn't necessarily have gone down, but that's just what happens. Um, I've been with my husband, Neil Senior, 
um, since I was 17 and we, we both were separated by going into prison. And then very quickly after Neil was released, um, is that we were married within 26 days. It's kind of like all of my life seems to be, be a bit sort of like not as straightforward mm. as maybe other people's lives. Um, but within a year after that, in 1989, young Neil was born. And um, I did try to contact my father at the time to um, let him know that I was pregnant. And um, the only way I could do that was to contact Dorset Police and ask them to get a message to him. Um, to say that I urgently needed to speak to him. And my father did call me, um, obviously unexpectedly. I didn't know that, that he was going to contact me. And um, and basically he said, what do you want? And I said to him, um, I don't want anything off of you. I was absolutely on this um, complete determined mission that one day I would be able to go back to my father and I would be able to say to him, despite the fact that you dumped me like that, despite all of the promises that you had made me as I was a child of how I would, there would always be a room for me and that you would buy me my first flat and all this kind of bullshit that eventually transpired, um, is that I would be able to go back to him and say, do you know what, despite you, despite everything, is that I've made it. And bearing in mind at that time, um, as I said, I didn't know there was anything untoward with my mother. Um, but yeah, he called me and just said to me, you know, what do you want? So I said, I don't want anything. I said, I just wanted to let you know that you're going to be a grandfather. And, um, and his response to me was, was that, um, he didn't want to talk to me right now. Mm -hmm. He might want to talk to me around about five years time or so. Um, and, um, but he didn't have any interest and he actually called my son, um, a little shit. Obviously my son wasn't born yet then. And my response to him then, I still had obviously this fire in my belly thinking to myself, do you know what? Uh, and I said to him, you know, um, maybe in five years time, I won't, I won't want to talk to you. And I put the phone down. I was absolutely distraught because I felt once again that um, this misconception of just how important mm. and how vibrant this relationship had been with my father up to the age of 16 didn't have the same meaning to him as what it did to me mm -hmm. so, okay fine whatever um anyway young neil was born men as it does to many people you know obviously i had now my own son and um and life continues and don't get me wrong it was very very difficult we were very um we weren't rich by any means and um, very much, um, you know, struggling from week to week. And um, and then one day I had gone to work and my husband called me and said to me, the police have come to our doorstep. And although we were trying to tow the correct line, we maybe were just shy of that line as far as um, making our way through life. So the police coming to the doorstep wasn't particularly, have we done anything wrong? We don't think we've done anything wrong. Anyway, I said to Neil, we haven't done anything wrong. I'm going to call them. And the police wouldn't talk to me over the phone. And then they turned up that evening and I answered the door. And, um, and they said, is your father Russell Causley? And my father wasn't Russell Causley, but I knew where the name Causley had come from because Patricia's surname was Causley. And I said, well, Russell Packman. And they said, yes. And they said, is there anybody else in the house with you? And I said, um, yes, my husband's here and some friends were there. And they said, we've got some really bad news for you. 
um, your father's missing, presumed dead, off the coast of Guernsey. And, um, and uh, yeah, my life literally dropped rock bottom. Um, I frantically tried to make phone calls um, to um, contact my father's parents. Um, I hadn't spoken to them since I was 14. And um, I, uh, I was 24 by now. And um, they, um, they said uh, they didn't want to talk to me. They said we would, we would appreciate it um, if actually you never called this number again. So I said, okay, fine, put the phone down. I was phoning from a phone box at the time. And um, so I phoned up my father's sister and um, she was different. She And I broke down, I really did. And I became, I, I have never ever experienced um, such depths of grief and um, trying to find desperately answers um, as to what had happened trying desperately to speak to Patricia because I, I spoke to Guernsey police. I couldn't speak to them until the next day. And um, I spoke to Guernsey police and um, they told me who was on the yacht with my father. And then I was then trying desperately to get hold of Patricia. And I think I spoke to Patricia um, maybe around about a week later. And, um, and she kept on just saying how um, she'd lost her husband and... And I said to her, but he's not your husband. And um, and she repeated it again. And I said, listen, he's not your husband because he's married to my mother. Um, and I didn't know at that time that they were or when they had last seen my mother at mm. that stage. Because they still had the family home in Bournemouth. And, um, and she basically said to me, fuck off, Sam. Um, I've got my own grief to deal with. And put the phone down. And, um, and, uh, yeah, four months later, basically, I mean, I, you know, I had insurance investigator come to my house and the police come to my house and, you know, they basically said to me, just get on with your life. And at that stage, Billy, um, I said to the insurance investigator, go away. Um, my father would never dream of doing what you're insinuating that he's done. That is not my father. And I truly believed that he was dead. And, um, but four months later, in the February of 1994, um, I had a phone call to say that my father was in police custody, um, that he was well. And I asked if I could speak to him, um, to which that was refused. And um, then Dorset Police um, started to show more interest in my mother's disappearance whereas in that previous four months while we were trying to find my mother Guernsey police had been to Dorset police and said to them listen there might be something untoward here and Dorset police said go back to your island you mind your own business and you mm. carry on doing what you're doing um, but there's nothing to see here mm. but then when my father, because it was for almost a million pounds that my father's insurance fraud was for, is um, they then came up to see me to then ask me some more questions about the run up to 1985, what the dynamics of the house was, when did I last see my mother? Um, and they started to do the normal in-depth searches that you would do looking 
to find somebody because it only took them a week to find me. Yeah. And bearing in mind that I had been married and obviously I wasn't in Dorset anymore and I wasn't in London. I was now in Northamptonshire. And... Um, so you left footprints, hadn't you? So yeah, so yeah. I had left footprints for them to be able to basically trace me. But unfortunately that was not becoming as easy with my mother. Which is odd. Straight away. Yeah. Um, you know, in this the, day and age or any day and age. Yeah, and I think then, and I think that we were, you know, the searches that they could do were better in the 1980s and 1990s. Certainly technology was coming forward and we were leaving more traces. And of course that has jumped way beyond now with regards to the footprints that we can leave inadvertently behind us. Um, but unfortunately, all of the normal checks for my mother... Um, even though the aircraft industry is obviously global, um, it's a very niche industry, the electronics engineers, so they're job shoppers, and they pretty much know who's working, and a lot of the time they will move with their teams and take people that they like to work with. So you would have thought in that sort of field, why on earth would she do anything else? She didn't know anything else. Yeah. Um, is that she would have been found. But what actually the information that we started to then get was that um, my father and Patricia um, had continued, had had been committing smaller frauds in the bigger lead up to that big fraud. That was the one where my father, I think, was intending to retire um, and, um, and basically, furn you know, furnish their lifestyle that they would like to have, which was quite expensive. Um, but obviously at my cost emotionally yeah, and with little regard either for my mother that had already been missing. Um, some of the, um, some of the things that the police, and it was very difficult because I don't have any brothers or sisters. And apart from my aunt, I didn't really have any valuable input from any of the wider family that I didn't know anyway. Sometimes it's rather difficult when you've got people, you know, I may as well just go and pluck somebody off the street and say, listen, yeah. will, you, will you be part <laughs> of my family, you know? And, um, but um, some of the things that the police then were then saying to me was that my mother had been in um, Canada in the late 80s, but it transpired actually that it was Patricia who had gone to Canada um, using my mother's passport and using my mother's green card and um, had uh, been removed by the Royal Mounted Police over there um, because, believe it or not, this woman, she knew no bounds as to how much that she was now going to take over my mother's life. Yeah. And, um, and she went and worked in exactly the same office as what my mother had worked in in the early 80s five to six years beforehand and um and Patricia was removed from the country and unfortunately you know in hindsight when you look back with regards to opportunities that possibly that you know even when I was getting into trouble with the police myself and I was telling them about my background yeah that nobody looked into it anymore because unfortunately as does happen and this really does annoy me people's perception of people versus maybe listening to that person because at the time with me being 17 going off of the rails 
but my father living quite literally in this big house up on a big hill of a drive with his nice watch and his nice car and speaking very nicely, not that I didn't, but of course versus me in my lace-up jeans and getting stoned, etc., is that who are they going to listen to? Mm. They're not going to listen to the 17-year-old. They're going to listen to the man who stood there going, oh, yes, my daughter, she's causing me so much trouble now. Oh, yes, I'm ever so sorry, Mr. Packman. You know, well, if you need us, you know, come and get us. But nobody listened to the fact that I had already been saying yeah. that I was concerned and that my mother, I hadn't seen my mother. Nobody listened. So what, what transpired going forward? So both my... All, everybody who was on the yachts were basically, they were all found guilty in one way or another or pleaded guilty and were sentenced accordingly. One of them, I, re I remember watching him. He had sort of selective memory. Yeah, yeah um, I've got to, um, this will maybe sound a bit weird to people. It's quite weird actually as to how yeah. um, my relationships with some of the people, some of the players that have been involved mm that maybe previously would have been foes, but now actually you actually listen to them. And exactly what I'm saying is that I'm never one who would be, I think you've got to be a real big arsehole for me actually to then say, do you know what? You, you're not value, you're not worthy of my time. Um, and certainly Hackett Jones, the solicitor who was on the yacht, he was certainly one that believe you me, he got both barrels while my father was missing. Mm my harassment of his his surgery, his practice, and saying, listen, you need to be flipping talking to me, um, was was no doubt, well, it was to the point that they actually phoned the police and said, could you please get her to cease and, and desist? Mm. Um, um, I do talk to Anthony now, and in fact, actually, I had lunch with Anthony and Neil um, only a few weeks ago at Neil's house. Um, and um, sometimes, again, People get themselves, as I said, into things that maybe in hindsight, if you actually look at it as to who actually was being dragged into something or who actually deserves to be um, vilified for the rest of their life. And Anthony does not go into that class. I wasn't very impressed with the way that Mark Williams Thomas pushed Anthony to tell his truth. Mm -hmm. And my relationship actually, just digressing just slightly, but my relationship with Mark Williams Thomas post the investigator um, disintegrated quite rapidly again. Um, he's not a trustworthy person um, and he certainly did not do as he said that he would um, the after, investigator. After, the invest yeah. after the investigator yeah I think it was all for a bouquet of flowers just for the glory of yeah without a shadow of a doubt and, um, and he needs to be kept away from people that are victims of crime like me because this is not this isn't some sort of flipping game here you know, this is my life, these are my people, and this has had such profound impact. And I'm quite one as well that's quite willing, like today, to sit here, to tell my story, but also to try and to say to people that despite the fact that if something really traumatic happens to you, that it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't have to break you, yeah. that you can flip that on its head, and that you can, although it obviously... It's the making of you in the sense of the impacts that it has and how you actually then try to then push that forward. But don't then don't then dismiss the effect and the wounds that we still have. And um, and I felt that, yeah, that he, he took advantage of that. And I, I wasn't that impressed, to tell you the truth, of what he did with Anthony. But anyway, so... 
everybody gets sentenced. Father gets put inside for a couple of years as, as Anthony. Anthony ended up with the worst sentence out of all of them. Patricia just gets a suspended sentence. Nobody wants to talk to me. I'd only had one further conversation with my father when the police had been to see him. And he, and all the time throughout all of this is I've been saying to them, I want to have a conversation with my father. I need to speak to him. And my father called me out of the blue and said that Dorset police had just left him. And, um, and I said, okay. And the next sentence, no, he actually opened up, he opened up this conversation and he says, well, Sam, the police have just left me and they haven't, um, they have not, they still have not managed to arrest me for the murder of your mother. And I was kind of like taken aback, obviously, because I'm shocked. I know that the police are looking into it, mm. but I was shocked by his opening sentence. And I said to him, I didn't realise that they were. All we need is just some help. And you two have been the closest with regards to engagement with, yeah. you know, with, with my mother. And um, anyway, he didn't help them. He just fed them more bullshit. Patricia was made to stay silent. And I think looking back now is that you can definitely understand that the control that was needed of the situation, um, because obviously at the moment, imagine that he's on a sand dune at the moment and he's kind of like trying to get his grip back. And um, so he's trying to keep control of it. And, you know, the police go. Um, my father, when he was inside, the gate arrested him and um, and they did charge him. They charged him with the murder of my mother, despite the fact that she had not been found still. And it took us up to 1996. It was December 1996 before we eventually got to the first court case at Winchester. And it took us um, around about three weeks, I think it was, to go through that trial. I gave evidence. Um, Patricia didn't. My father didn't. And um, um, even in that courtroom, my father, across the courtroom, smirked at the discomfort and how scared I was of the importance, you know, Winchester Crown Court is absolutely huge. And, um, you know, I was still suffering, you know, as I was as skinny as a rake and you could see the stress that I'd been going through because of course, by now you're three years in, nobody could have forewarned me at the beginning, just how deep that I was going to have to dig. And um, and how much that it takes and how important it is for you to tell the truth because of the importance of what you're doing. Um, the courage that's needed, you need to stand in that court. And the man that you've had up here is now, he's, he's not that man, is he? Because no. he's now standing for the worst thing that somebody could do. Murder is bad enough. Murder where you've actually committed a murder and you've actually gone to the lengths that you have to make sure that we would never be able to find that person or that you would do your absolute utmost to defy the process of justice for your own selfish gain. Um, even though that you're watching and you know that you're bullshitting, you know that you're doing that. Mm. And yet you'll still continue. And he was found guilty. Unanimous verdict. And um, you kind of feel as well that after after that, like, you're, um, 
you're coddled by the system yeah. as a victim and you're um you've got all the best legal team you've got the best qcs um and and then all of a sudden then boom they're at your life and then you're then sat there thinking right okay right i've got to get myself together um we were broke absolutely broke i was offered at the time and we came back home and it was christmas my father was convicted literally a week before christmas of 1996 and we came back home we hadn't been working and um because obviously because of the trial so we had very limited income i had a very young son who was watching and we were trying to keep him away but obviously when you've got such long-term impacts of, of such sadness and such complexities going on that's very difficult to keep from your child yeah definitely and um we tried to make christmas as best as we could i was asked to go um to the um moat house hotel in northampton town center to meet the news of the world there was a huge amount obviously of media interest at the time of the conviction and um they put a contract in front of me I can't remember now if it was 30 or 35,000 pounds that was offered to me. Mm. And um, I left my husband with the journalists and I walked over to the reception and I said, could I use your phone, please? And they said, yeah. And I phoned up Dorset Police. The first team of Dorset Police were just amazing. I had Chris Diamond and I had Paul Donnell. And you know proper old school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ironically, Paul Donnell actually had arrested me previously, many years beforehand. So it was kind of weird now that we were now on the same side, as it were. We're on the proper side of the law. We're not doing anything wrong. And I phoned up and I said to them, listen, I said, I'm sat with the News of the World at the moment. And there's this money that's on the table. And, um, and I don't know what to do. I didn't have anybody else that I could phone mm -hmm. to ask um, the question. And... Um, their advice to me was, was they said to me, Sam, the thing that you've got to bear in mind is, is that if you take the money, is that you're then opening yourself up completely. You never quite know as to how that's going to go. And so my advice to you would be, is to turn it away. Okay, thank you. And I walked back to the coffee table where Neil was sat. And um, I looked at the two journalists and I said to them, thank you very much. I said, but no, thank you. I'm not doing this. And um, I said to my husband, well, we're going. Was he like, hey, where are you going? <laughs> he he, um, he said... a lot of money there. He, he was a lot of money. Yeah. And it was a lot of money that certainly that, you know, most probably would have maybe given me, you know, an opportunity at that time to have been able to have maybe changed my life. Mm. Um, maybe a Your little... Your integrity was more important. My integrity was important. And... Um, he said to me, Sammy, he said, um, I can't believe you've just done that. And I said to him, it's more important things sometimes, Neil, than money. I mm. said, come on, let's go. And he was just like, and that was it. He never held it against me. And I never looked back or regretted that. I kind of felt sort of like quite big, if you know what I mean. It was Did he say come back with a council offer? Because that's the usual, isn't it? No, I literally, no, I, 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 that was it. And should I tell you the other thing also that I didn't like about that either? Mm. At the time of talking to the news of the world, do you know what they were more interested in? 
One of the questions that they asked me was, and let's remember looking back on the news of the world's history and what's happened subsequently to the news of the world. They said to me, um, while you were looking out for your mother walking up the drive, while you knew that your father and Patricia were in bed with each other, could you hear any noises? I'm just kind of like... The whole scheme... The seediness of, of all, it. Of all of this shit. That's all that you're flipping interested in. Mm. I was just like, you, do you know what? So anyway, so we walked away from that. And my father then um, took us through from 1996 up to 2003, year upon year of um, appeals. Yeah. We ended up in the High Court numerous times. And um, eventually, um, thanks to the CCRC that had now been implemented as well, is um, which obviously it depends on which side of the fence as to whether or not you fool them or flipping or hate them. And... Um, they uh, gave him another opportunity in court and his um, conviction was overturned in um, 2003. But we were granted a retrial because Dorset Police were still absolutely adamant, completely 100% behind yeah. their case and their conviction. And, um, and so we went to trial again. Now, in the first trial, we had a lot of circumstantial evidence. People travelled far. People travelled from Canada to give evidence because of the importance of how they felt yeah. of 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 making sure that there was other people that were supporting obviously my mother and um but we had three prisoners in the first trial whose evidence was um two of which there were three one was dismissed as a red herring and there were two prisoners that were um that they asked to come to court to give evidence and one of them murphy was asked um, as to whether or not he had ever done anything, given evidence in a trial like this before, yeah. to which he said no. And through my father's legal team and their digging, Murphy had actually in the 1970s given evidence in exactly the same way for exactly the same sort of case. And on that basis, on that technicality, my father's conviction was overturned and thrown out. So trial number two, we didn't have any of the prisoners. We got rid of all of them. But mm. we had one other key piece of information that we didn't have beforehand that wasn't allowed to be used because of my father's father. He wouldn't allow his wife to give evidence and said that the, even more of the old school, of the elder generation, we don't want to be getting involved in that. Which in some ways as well is that you kind of, you think, well, hang on a minute. If that was your daughter... Yeah. Would you still have that same stance? So, um, and that evidence was, was that my grandmother, my father's mother, had been at um, the house in Bournemouth and my father and Patricia had had an argument and she said that she overheard my father saying to Patricia, I've already got rid of one wife, don't make me get rid of another. And that was quite a heavy loaded sentence for somebody independent it's a big statement isn't it it's a very very big statement um so anyway in the spring of of 2004 we were back in exeter and we had the second trial and once again no patricia once again no father nothing to say and um and obviously i gave evidence again for very for completely different experience a very intimate court is exeter 
and um and he was found guilty again and so he was resentenced again but he he had his life recommendation but the 16 years that had been recommended to him from 1996 that still stood so even though we were now in 2004 we only had another eight years so 2012 and then for his the, release the, the, the parole yeah. board would start to then knock on our door and they did defer that we were we were we, we did have quite a big period of where you do definitely things are quiet you know where he is i've always been very vocal over still saying about my mother and that if anybody had ever had any information then please come forward because it isn't a case of in this sort of scenario where it's over and done with and dusted and that's it we'll just put that to bed and um If I thought, if I, if I called it a section and I thought that that first section um, was hard enough, I can honestly say that I think from 2014 up to 2020, that six years was most probably the most intense. My father played further head games of just just inflicting further trauma from his cell yeah. um making a confession and i've got the parole board also knocking on my door sometimes twice a year asking me for my opinion as to whether or not i thought or what did i think of my father's next parole hearing and also they don't understand. I don't think I. I. I tell you what, the parole system. Okay. <laughs> it's a testing, testing, flipping um, process for you to work yourself through. Yeah. And um, and it's even more testing when at the same time. You can't even say this is something, as I said, that had happened history-wise. This was still something that was happening very real time. Off the back of my father's confession in 2014 that he very kindly released to us is that um, we had a third police investigation. It was the third one. We'd had one every decade for 30 years now. This was a completely different team. This was a completely different... It was a completely different police force, to be perfectly honest with you as well. If I was to grade them, the first lot were absolutely amazing, the second lot were brilliant, and the third lot were woefully incompetent. There is no other way to describe them. I, I may as well have been headbutting a wall with regards to how they were actually looking at this and how they were so dismissive and they weren't willing to do anything yeah. with the confession. And it's very difficult when you've got that on one side and that obviously is raising your, um, heightening your angst that you've got. And then on the other side with the parole board, they're saying, Mrs. Gillingham, could you please calm down? And you're going, you want me to calm down? Are you aware of what I'm dealing with on this side? Yeah. And, and you, you want me to calm down? You know, I don't like the fact that you... Um, you write a statement to them and yeah. then it has to be submitted for their approval. Why does that need to be submitted for approval? You have to then ask permission 
will you allow me to then go to the parole hearing so that I can read my statement out? But you're not allowed any other part of that parole system. I don't like the fact that when you convict somebody, it's con they're convicted in an open court where everything is laid before you. You know everything. You know all about their medical history. You know how they're feeling. You know what they've said, haven't said. All of it is all in front of you. When you get to the parole, sis parole part of it, what's the point in coming and knocking on my door as a victim and asking me for my opinion if you do not furnish me with all of the information that I need exactly, to yeah. be able to then be able to then put a purposeful report together for you yeah. please do not take my passion as aggression please please look at that and assess that for what it is which is passion and also what's right and what's wrong if I'm telling you that I'm feeling as a victim that he's further perverting the course of justice, if anybody else had done what my father did in a lifetime crime, that person would be taken in for perverting the course of justice. Well, of course, yeah. Definitely, yeah. But my father can sit under the umbrella <laughs> of the judicial system yeah. and he can write a six-page statement where he goes into graphic detail of how he burnt my mother's body for three days. Yeah, the sheen had on. How would you how how would you like me to process that exactly? And oh, don't forget, we've got the police force in the centre. The people we're supposed to go to. Don't take anything into your own hands. Don't do anything. Oh, we don't like that aggression a little bit, Mrs. Gillingham. Thames Valley, come along. Northamptonshire, please contact me. We've had a complaint for threats to kill. Sorry, I haven't threatened to kill anybody. No, no, no. Perception this is. This comes under perception. So when you said that when your father gets released is that you will find him, and I look you dead in the eye and say, I will find him because I want to have a conversation with that man. That's perceived. I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill him. Hang on a minute, guys. Um, let's just be logical about this. Let's think about Patricia Causley. So out of all of the people in this... And bearing in mind that I've said all the way along with regards to my thoughts of my father. Yeah. Do you think that I really care about Patricia? But have I known where Patricia has lived for the past 25 years? Yes, I have. Have I caused Patricia any harm? No. Have I had her sacked from quite a few jobs? Yes, out of principle. Especially when I find that she's working for the Civil Aviation Authority still, very recently. And that was my mother's job, excuse me. Mm. Is my mother here? Do you think my mother would be happy? Let alone the fact that she's been missing now for almost 37 years. Yeah. Do you think she would be happy if she knew that the woman who came in literally moved into her house while she was there, snatched everything out from underneath her, sold her house for her, worked as her, but she doesn't pay a little bit? Because I don't seem... We call Trisha... Teflon Trish because just nothing will fucking stick mm. <laughs> and um, but I've never done anything to her and so why do you then think plus also have you not seen what I've been busily doing with my own life despite all of this cacophony of shit that's happening around me have you not seen how I've been still even more so staying focused on what I want to achieve myself do you want to see think that I'm going to let that piece of shit there who has been 
the burden in my life, but also in parts, on the flip side, still a driving force in my life, do you think that I'm then going to then throw everything that I've done away for that? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys, where's your flipping logic? Oh, that just doesn't make sense, does it? And you can't have this sort of conversation with them because they're not willing to listen. Because unfortunately, there's risk assessments. There's boxes to tick. There's kind of like... And then all of a sudden, my father then, then becomes the one that they're then protecting on his way out of release for the murder of my mother, who still is missing. I don't think he should, should ever have been allowed free. How can you have it that somebody in a previous parole hearing, it is recommended that Mr. Causley should do this, this and this. And then when you ask that when they get their next statement through, they then say, Mr. Causley didn't do any of that. Why are you releasing him then? Why yeah, is this just, man safe? Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all, does it? There's no way. Honestly, <laughs> I think to Tony's truth, of course we're going to have flashpoints where we peak up in frustration. Yeah. But I think I think ultimately though is that both Neil and I that we've actually tried to maintain as much calm calm dignity. I'm really sorry if you're sick of me keep on banging on the door and keep on knocking and saying I'm not happy. I, I, you know what you should never be sorry because like what you like you you just said it's this passion and it's mistaken for anger and aggression. When in reality, it's like you dry, you, you want to know. I want to know. You I want to know where, where your mother is. Anyone who loves their mother, father, sibling, whatever, and they're missing, would want to find out where they were. Or it, it's it's just it's, and I don't think people like you said understand how do the person's feeling. No. So your dad got released, didn't he? At one point. Yeah. So. October 2020, we knew it was coming. We'd we'd lost, um, and I must admit, I felt pretty wounded. Um, mm. I went quite quiet, really, because um, I didn't initially actually. <laughs> but I think then when I couldn't, I did go looking for him. I had the phone call to say that he'd been released from jail. Because you don't know when it's going to happen. No, it's you just, just, release, you, just yeah. you just know it's within a week. And um, as soon as I had the phone call, I was at work and uh, and I phoned up my line manager and I said, I've got to go. And he said, what do you mean you need to go? And I said, I've got to go. And I got in my car. <laughs> Where am I going? Mm. Where to go? For some new reason, and I can't remember, and I know that Neil has done a huge amount, um, we had a list of addresses of every single place that men who get released from prison go to. And so I headed down south and um, I started searching. And um, they weren't happy. Um, some people were quite helpful because obviously I was trying to talk to people that were just inside the gates. Can you help mm. me? I'm looking for my father. We haven't had anybody new in here. Okay, cool. Moved along. Police got called at one stage as well at one of them. I spent the whole weekend. The whole weekend I was um, 
and um, the police got called and you know and I'm walking along the road I had one of my dogs with me and you know they grabbed me by the arm and I was just like just fucking get off with, get off of me and just leave me alone am I doing anything wrong well we want to talk to you no answer the question am I doing anything wrong am I allowed to walk along this street well yes excellent so you go on your way and you leave me be and if I want to sit here opposite that house and that's how I wish to spend my time guess what that's what I'm going to do he's not here I don't care what you're saying okay I'm looking for him Uh, I couldn't find him and um the sensibility side then kicks in and the reality and you think, well, I've got to get back to work. <laughs> so yeah. you go back to work. Don't get me wrong. The um, You've got to be careful, right? You've got to be careful then as to what position that you then put yourself into. Knowing perfectly well as far as how quick that actually you think that you're going down one road and then the rug could be swept out from underneath your feet and you're mm. kind of like desperately then trying to say, no, 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 that's not what the intention was here. So um, I tried to do the right thing by de- dealing with the authorities to try and still speak for my father. No, that's not happening. Okay, I left him be. And then October last year we had... Um, we had another letter, an update letter to say that everything was fine. Okay, brilliant. Mother's still missing. That doesn't matter, does it? And um, and then in December last year, I then get a phone call out of the blue to say that my father had been recalled back to prison. And so he's back in there now. And, and that's where he is at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And guess what loop-de-loop that we're about to start again. We're back down the parole system again because um, we've been put on notice for another oral parole hearing. But I don't know where I'm going to get with this. Tomorrow, I'm going to the probation. (laughs) Um, I've got an appointment in the afternoon because I've kept on asking over, I want to speak to my father. And I've then said to them, okay, well, if you're concerned, then, you know, let's do this in a controlled environment. No, it's whether or not my father's going to speak to me. If I was a betting person, I'd say he's not going to allow it. But anyway, I'll carry on asking. Um, but I'm, I'm meeting two people tomorrow from the probation um, who are facilitators in restorative justice. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to sit in front of them. And I'm hopefully going to be able to keep my calm and... Um, and just say to them, I just want to sit in front of him. And I can't deny that it's going to be so highly emotive. And I can't deny that I'm not going to be able to hold my temper. I would be a liar if I didn't say that. However, I don't want to cause him any actual harm. But what I do want to do is I want to be able to sit him opposite him. And I want to be able to look him in the eye and just say to him, why is this all about and why can't you just tell me where she is why can't you just now stop messing us around because my mother would be missing 37 years this june now and she'd only just turned 40 a matter of weeks before she went missing my father's turning 79 
in April. Patricia won't help because she's just interested in saving her own fucking skin. Yeah. And I can't get her into a court of law. She sounds like a lizard to be fair. so close. Yeah. And then I, I, I did, got I, snatched underneath me. Yeah, she does sound like a bit of a lizard. And um, I'm fearful. Can't ever fuck. And it's, it's like restorative justice. I've got some experience with them. I don't know okay. if you've, I don't know if you've ever had any experience yourself. I've got no idea. It's it's more like of a biblical kind of um, religious. It was a sector within the prison service, but they don't go under the umbrella of religion in a okay. sense. But what they do is honesty, integrity, um, self awareness. Yeah. You know, trying to look at the victims side of things yeah and have a feel for them and the empathy so you know I've, I've been on the receiving end of like the force of feelings of what and I you know I, I hand on heart you know it kind of felt bad about like what I did I obviously shed a few tears myself when I shared because we had to sort of like do a bit of affirmation about what we you know what we thought so hopefully I'm, I'm not I'm not you know all done any of Oh, after 37 years, it's like a long time. So it's very cruel of him to keep that secret if he knows that I there's... Do, I don't understand what the gain is. There's no gain, is there? No, I just don't understand. I just think to myself, for Christ's sake, man. Just tell us. I just want to just say to him, are you off your fucking head? Uh, I, I you get are to... absolutely mental. This is madness. Just for me, just let it go. Just tell mm. us. You've <laughs> look at the time that you've wasted, and you know yeah. I couldn't really. Uh, I'm just like I don't understand. Sorry, I don't understand how somebody can do this to somebody else, no. and I don't understand what I've done that's so bad because I don't think. I don't think of um, of uh, all nasty things about my father. He seems to think that I do, and I don't. And I just don't understand as to the fact that maybe it's out of embarrassment. Mm. Um, just the control, just because you can. The all-powerful kind of knowing and not... Sharing. I, I know I know what you want and, and I, but I think I think the thing for me as well is um it was just that twisting of that knife over these past sort of six seven years you know just continually this just, just constant cruelty it's silence is deadly you know and, and I'm by hoping this meeting that you have or sort of bring some. I don't know. I, don't, I some guess. some some kind of closure, at least, uh, for both of you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe for I, him, it'd be like. I um. I don't have um. I don't feel. Confident. Um, I don't feel confident about no. it. 
Um, but I have to say that when I had the phone call just over a week ago, I was absolutely yes. Mm. I was just like, this is, you know, this is one of the better phone calls, you know. But whether or not I'm just setting myself up for another fall. Just um, going with an open mind. That's the best thing. I know, I'll have to wait and see. But I, um, and as to, you know, what happens to us next, you know, for Pin, I think that anybody... That is that's the question, right? What happens to you next? Because what happens next? Okay, let's look at a scenario. He says, "Yeah, this is what happened, and this is where your mother is, and this is where you'll find her." What happens next? Do you go and bury the remains, or do you go and place a little bit a memorial in that area? It's like there's a lot of questions that yeah. it's quite difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what do you do? You know, is that is that the end is that a bit of an ending for you because you're obviously a million percent you know she's not alive no that's 100 it's it's it's, it goes without saying you've accepted that yeah but what you don't accept and which is rightly so is what we don't know where she is yeah i'd be i'd I'd, no like that's if that was like i was on the i was on the opposite side if that was me people would be getting uh, taken hostage and everything (laughs) well (laughs) Many many years ago, and I really, I really do mean early early doors. I had um, I had people that offered me to go and kidnap Patricia. We'll put yeah. in the back of the van. We'll yeah. start breaking her fingers. It's not the right thing to do. That's not what we should be doing right well, sometimes now. Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it is. I don't know. No. Actually, in some ways, in hindsight, you kind of think, because this was like 1993, 94 sort of era, yeah. is that you actually think to yourself, do you know what, maybe I could have saved myself a whole heap of pain yeah. if actually I'd taken up one of those or those offers. But that's what I mean with regards to the knowing of, um, you know, what is right and what is wrong. Exactly, and, and, yeah. And causing and yourself more... Well, yeah, uh, yeah it's, in some ways... You know that's exactly what Patricia has done to me, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. is that she has, um, and how far somebody will go to save their own skin versus actually thinking, do you know what? I can see that pain now. Millions of people across the world have watched our story. Everybody sees my pain. Everybody sees Neil's pain because he's had no choice but to just have this. Constant in his life. It's, it's just constant. Yeah, it's, been, know, it's you, been in his life, hasn't it? Constant um, since he was since, since he was three. born. Yeah, well, since he was three, yeah. is is that is that that has been with him, and um, the only thing that I do take um, from that is that um, everybody comes to the same um, conclusion with regards to Patricia's involvement and as to how they actually see her as a human being. Yeah. And and for me as well, for my mother, is I haven't been able to get full justice, I felt, through the justice system. But I feel my mother would never have believed, particularly with what our relationship was, yeah. which was non-existent just before she disappeared, yeah. that she would ever have thought that 37 years on, I was still here, still talking and still saying, please do not forget that Carol Packman is still missing. And that's, and that, with that, 
you know, it's been, I don't think there's anything else we could say regarding that because that's what it's about, you know. You're still here after all those years and you're still as strong as it was back then. Yeah. So as we come to the end of the podcast, what would you, right, Sam, say? I always say this to every guest. Says to Neil. <laughs> um, what would you say to a, a young, a young Sam Gillingham coming through the doors of life? Be prepared. Brilliant. <laughs> what a shout. <laughs> Be prepared. Yeah. That's it. Brilliant. And with, <laughs> and, and with that, I'll put all your, your, um, your, your details within the description, uh, all the links to the investigative Thank reports you. and anything else that you need us to do, just get the links down and we'll, we'll, we'll sort that. But it's been an I've just been, an, uh, you know, this is the first time really that people might say, uh, this is the first time that I've actually just sat. Because it's like, it's the, the story, you, you, it flows chronologically, you know, it's quite understandable. So, I really, really appreciate you coming down, Sam. Thank you very much. I really, really and I wish you. I wish you all all the all the best with everything that's going forward. Thank you. Thank you, you very, very much. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome.